Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I am Kaylee Batesman, the Content Director at She Can Code. And today we are discussing do's and don'ts for deploying generative AI in business. Today, we're going to be talking about the fascinating world of AI and its potential applications in the business landscape. Thankfully, I'm joined by the amazing Katie Simmons, data and technology lawyer at Womble Bond Dickinson. And we're going to delve into the essential do's and don'ts for successfully implementing generative AI technologies. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, We're going to kick off. We've got so much to talk about, but we're going to kick off with a bit of background about yourself, if that's okay, just to set the scene. Of course. Um, so as you've mentioned, I'm a lawyer at Womble Bond Dickinson. I've always been a tech geek. I think since I can remember, I've always been kind of fiddling with technologies um, and trying to understand how they work. So I, I specialize in tech and data work and have a particular focus on emerging technologies, including AI. Amazing. When you say fiddling, were you that young child that kind of took things apart and your parents were kind of like, what? What happens to this thing? Sadly, I was always good at taking things apart. I never quite extended to the physical ability to mend things or put them back together. So I think that's probably how I've ended up in more of an advisory role as opposed to a kind of doing role in the tech space. Amazing. And were you encouraged into that role by somebody? Were you interested in tech at school? Was that a teacher or a parent? What kind of led you off in that direction? I think it's the ability to create something, kind of that desperation to try and create something new. Um, I've always wanted to do that. So actually, kind of innovation and technology seem like a good place to, to begin. And since being at One World One Dickinson, I've only really been encouraged. Um, so, you know, we've recently set up an emerging technologies group, for example, and that kind of has the wholehearted support of partners around me. So, yeah, lots of encouragement. Yeah, amazing. Yes, we always say on this podcast, it's so important to fall or not fall, deliberately end up at the right company that is super encouraging um, to to the people in its business uh, and knows how to retain that talent. Um, So that is good to hear. And we have so much to talk about today. Um, We are going to kick off with, can I ask you to summarise what on earth is generative AI? It's a branch of AI that's able to produce novel, realistic and seemingly original content in response to requests and prompts from users. So it includes text, artwork, code or audio. All of these things can be produced using generative AI technologies. Now, research into generative AI has been ongoing for a number of years, but the recent release of publicly available tools like ChatGPT have really accelerated the development and adoption of these technologies. Yeah, it's something that um, we we keep hearing. It's one of those buzzwords, isn't it? We keep hearing it at the minute. I don't think a lot of us understand um, what it is, what it means, um, how it will be used in business. So I was pleased um, when this podcast topic come up um, because you are right. It is. It's it's everywhere at the moment. Um, and a lot of us don't understand what it is. And something else that is everywhere at the minute on everybody's lips is chat GPT, um, which a lot of us say wrong. Um, <laughs> but a, a lot of us have heard of it or attempting to use it at work. Um, how does chat GPT work? So it allows users to ask questions and then it provides responses back. Um, at a basic level, I like to simplify what it does into three core steps. 
Firstly, it's essentially a web scraper that reviews vast volumes of data that are available on the internet. Secondly, it's capable of performing very sophisticated mathematics using its large language model. Now, this model essentially analyzes how statistically probable it is that certain sentences and words should go together. Now, finally, ChatGPT then uses its knowledge from steps one and two to produce almost instantaneous responses to queries. Now, these responses mimic human speech and writing patterns. And in my opinion, there's no doubt that ChatGPT could pass the original Turing test. Um, the concept of which, for those who are slightly less geeky than me, um, being to test whether a human conceives a response given by a computer to be another human. So, so while we are a long way from artificial general intelligence, which envisages AI systems solving tasks in ways that aren't limited to how they're trained, this combination of accuracy coupled with the ability to mirror human speech patterns is unique. Yes, it's so interesting. You're absolutely right. And there was a, funny enough, there was a conversation this morning with a colleague um, and I, and uh, we were talking about um, using uh, chat uh, GPT at work. And um, I said, well, I, I, I put in, when I put in a question, I tend to say, please, please, can I have this? And I, I said, I don't know why I do that, but it's almost like I, I feel rude if I don't ask, please. That, you know, I'm, I'm asking you to do something um, and to generate a response for me. So I ask, please. And we did have that discussion of what would happen if we weren't polite. You know, would would it come back and, and say, well, that's rude? Or, you know, <laughs> would, it, would it not like me if I if I wasn't polite in the way that I asked? You know, it's, and you are right. The way that it speaks back to you does obviously sound um, like a human response. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's in, um, incredibly clever. But yeah, I only happened to come up this morning. Do, do, do I speak to it nicely or can I be rude? <laughs> Will it know I'm being rude because it's mirroring human speech patterns, as you said? <laughs> being more general, um, what can generative AI do? So the opportunities are seemingly endless. We're seeing businesses using generative AI to write code. Um, during a recent conversation with a head of operations of a startup, I was told that they hadn't had to hire as many coders as they'd originally planned as generative AI tools had been so effective for them. Another use case is drug discovery companies using generative AI to create new drugs, optimize drug properties and assess the toxicity in drugs. Um, that for me is a really good example of kind of tech doing good here. And as a law firm, we're looking at a number of use cases, such as summarizing judgments for seminars, staff queries about policies. Um, on this one, the plan is that we'll have an area of our kind of internal hub that we'll essentially be able to ask a question to, such as how much adoption leave am I entitled to or am I entitled to a sabbatical? The aim is that this tool will then scan all of our policies and provide employees with an answer and specific reference. So that's quite a basic um, functionality. But when you think about it, the amount of kind of comms that you could get through asking HR for particular questions, the aim is that generative AI will kind of minimize that and make it more efficient. 
Um, more generally, we're also looking at areas we can incorporate tech into our client delivery. So the ability to provide insights on large volumes of contracts, generative AI would be very helpful here. The drivers for us as a firm are all aimed at improving efficiencies and speed of delivery for us and our clients. Um, one point that I wanted to highlight is that generative AI is just one tool. So it's important not to have tunnel vision and think that it will always be the answer. Generative AI is part of a much wider suite of tools that are available, including automation and rule or template based systems. Now, these are powerful tools and also have a wide application. I, I love the fact that you pointed out, you know, just just going for all of those different policies, for instance, in, in your own firm. Um, because that is it's very open to human error if somebody's having to go through and do that, um, you know, even by eye or if they are using a piece of software and just doing a quick find or whatever it may be. Um, that's still a lot for, for one person um, to take on. So you're right. There, there are, um, you know, the ways that we can use AI at the moment, um, uh, hopefully are freeing up people's time and 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 really helping them. I, there, there is a lot of negative press around it as well. And we're all trying to navigate what that looks like um, and where we're going to go. But how do you think it is for, for businesses at the moment? I mean, you mentioned quite a few case studies there that would really help businesses. Um, you know, how beneficial do you think it is? Yeah, well, benefits include accelerated creation of content. So machine learning technologies can analyze and learn from vast data sets producing outputs much quicker than humans can. Um, this is key in areas like the pharmaceutical industry, where drug discovery can take upwards of a decade. Another benefit is the ability to personalize customer experiences. Chatbots can be more human-like and more responsive to customer queries. Um, a final and obvious benefit is, is money. Taking the coding example, we know that coders are already using generative AI to write a lot of their code. This has efficiency advantages as well as additional technological capabilities. We also know that the UK government's backing AI and has a big 10-year plan to make the UK an AI superpower. I love that. that um example that you picked out there about personalizing customer experiences that's I mean businesses you know try and do that every single day but for for AI just to be able to point that out and to really tailor something to to a customer um that's going to be invaluable um yeah production same... marketing content you know it can be produced really quickly for example yeah. um content that would take teams kind of several hours they're finding that ChatGPT can have a really good first stab. I'm not condoning using ChatGPT in this way, um, but it's something that businesses are just starting to do that I'm seeing a lot of our clients kind of experimenting with and then now thinking, well, what, what, what are the risks? What are the legal kind of challenges around using it in this way? Yeah. And you say now having a first stab as well, even if you chuck something in, and that's what we've been doing. We've been using it for ideas to generate ideas. And then, you know, obviously we take that back, tweak whatever we need, build out from that. But even just to have a first stab at something, I think, you know what, we we wouldn't have thought of that. That's a great idea. Um, so yeah, it's almost kind of using it to start with and then a human stepping in at the moment. And as you said, all those things are running through your head as well. 
um, you know, using something like that um, as part of your business? Because it, as we've mentioned, it does have its benefits, um, but also surely it must also come with its risks, right? So <laughs> Yeah, I think it's important to look at the limitations and risks around using these technologies, which makes them more controversial and definitely adds to the hype. Um, Key challenges that can arise from using generative AI tools include verifying the accuracy of the underlying data, as ultimately algorithms are only as good as the data sets they're trained on. Now, taking ChatGPT as an example, it's an excellent web scraper, but it cannot challenge the accuracy of the underlying sources that it scrapes the data from. It can be particularly challenging to identify these kind of errors where ChatGPT has blended fact fiction and inaccurate data altogether. Now this dovetails into the risk of discrimination. It it will be more difficult for organizations to check whether generative AI is perpetuating historic biases and discrimination into its responses. A classic example of discrimination involving AI was an advertising algorithm that was showing more AI jobs to men and secretarial jobs to women. Now, the the difficulty here was that the algorithm was actually working exactly as it should be, as more women were clicking on the secretarial jobs and vice versa. And this is a really good example of how it's not easy to identify discrimination and issues, particularly where, for all intents and purposes, the AI tech is working exactly as it should be. So there's really a danger of becoming overly reliant on these technologies. And where this happens, businesses fail to be able to understand how they're using people's personal data or verify that a response is right. I'm repeatedly asked, well, how do I check it? How do I test it? How do I rely on it? And, and the answer is you can't, you know, straightforward, you can't just rely on a black and white response. It takes you as a business to look at it in a wider context. So as well as causing privacy and discrimination law issues, it ultimately could cause broader reputational problems, as well as challenges with ascertaining the best ways to maximize how you're using these technologies. Um, You can't work out a strategy for kind of mid to long term if you can't get the short term right. And now is probably a good time to highlight that even OpenAI's own website states that ChatGPT sometimes writes plausible sounding but incorrect or nonsensical answers. So this really emphasizes that where an organization is using these technologies, it's vital that someone has oversight of how it works um, and that there's some sort of verification of the output being produced. Yes, definitely. And yes, you mentioned their reputational issues and and whether or not it's accurate because um, as as a journalist, it can be alarming the types of things that it spits out because you're trained to obviously, um, you know, have credible sources, only pick things from places where you know um, that that they have a, that is a credible source. And if you're not sure, you go and track things down yourself. You always have to be able to, to work things back to a source that you can rely on. Um, and 
you you can put things in in uh, uh, chat uh, GBT and ask it to generate you like a listicle or something like that. And I remember doing it and thinking, how do I know if that is even accurate? And how do I trace that back to the source? Because you can't, it just goes against everything that any credible publication would have any writer create. Um, so it can be quite alarming. Um, and as you said, it's kind of, it's at the minute, I think for a lot of people, it works great as an idea factory or something that can, you know, kind of kick off something, um, spark an idea. And then, you know, you go down your usual route of um, making sure that you're using credible sources. Um, but you are right, because it can have such uh, problems with companies' reputation. You know, if you put something out and uh, and it's wrong, um, what, on earth, what on earth do you do at that point? Um, and on that should companies be worried um, about uh, regulatory issues or security concerns? They haven't even covered security concerns at the minute. <laughs> um, yeah, so taking the General Data Protection Regulation or GDPR as an example here, the GDPR places an obligation on data controllers to be transparent and to be able to explain how an AI system operates. AI is now very much in the spotlight with new regulation and laws being developed globally. So we expect as this focus on AI continues, we'll see an increasing number of individuals looking to organisations to better explain how AI is being used to make decisions about them. Um, This could be challenging in the context of generative AI technologies. Generative AI also raises complex questions regarding the ownership, authorship and accountability of the generated code and content. So, for instance, who owns the IP rights of the code? Who's responsible for any errors or damages caused by any generated code or content? How can developers ensure that they're not infringing on any existing copyrights or patents? Now, these are all questions that aren't particularly new to generative AI. They've been around for as long as people have been using open source software. But it's something that I think is very much on a lot of organizations, radars who want to kind of maximize the potential here to use these technologies. Now, in terms of security, it's really a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it can be used as a tool to bolster cybersecurity practices including writing new code quicker to patch potential vulnerabilities. On the other hand, threat actors or attackers can use these tools too to improve their hacking techniques and identify vulnerabilities. So we're seeing an increasing number of organizations creating new senior roles to deal with the risks and benefits of using these technologies a role that we've kind of heard a lot of organizations talk about is chief AI officer. Um, this trend is likely to continue as we see the new AI regulation coming into force in the EU, alongside the developments of the UK's regulatory position. It's, it's always interesting in the tech industry how um, new jobs come about and how fast they appear. And like you just said, that is a new job. Um, that you know, a few years ago, we wouldn't have thought of that chief AI officer, um, and all of a sudden, that is is a role, another role in technology that um, that we need to fill. Um, but it, yeah, it's always interesting how fast the industry moves and how we have to keep up. And um, as you said as well, I think every time somebody talks about hackers, I, I always 
think, you know, how companies tend to say um, they're always one step ahead of the curve and they're, they're there, they've already learned, you know, how to tap into the vulnerabilities of um, uh, AI um, and what businesses are doing. So you have to um, always try and be one step ahead. I mean, I'm sure they've already figured it out. Um, and on that, are, are there, as a side note to that, are there ethical considerations surrounding um, generative AI that, that we need to consider as well? Yes, yeah, so we've already touched briefly on discrimination, but AI has the potential to make biased decisions based on flawed input data or programming. Mm-hmm. Um, businesses could also be acquiring pseudo-ethical AI products to satisfy their environmental and social governance targets, only to later discover that the claims made around the qualities of the design are actually false. It's a real question of kind of how can you test what you're buying here and how can you verify that the solution meets all of its descriptions that um, solution providers claim it will do. So in addition, companies could be selling AI for good initiatives while also selling surveillance technology to corrupt governments and questionable corporate customers. Um, This is known as AI ethics washing. That's a new one. AI ethics washing. I haven't heard that. It just <laughs> the mind boggles um, of the amount of uh, terms that that continue to to be um, invented in the tech industry. Um, it's quite comparable to greenwashing when you think about it. So people saying that something is clean tech and and it perhaps isn't behind the scenes. So um, allowing companies to kind of offload that that clean tech onto their suppliers and saying that that they're their their kind of carbon footprint's lower, but actually overall the carbon footprint's exactly the same. It's a bit like that with ethics washing in terms of kind of false claims um, that could be made. Yeah, yeah. Um, Also, there have been many arguments that AI will lead to job losses. It's one of those negative press things about AI (laughs) that we keep reading Do you think that's going to be the case or is that another one of those? In the tech industry, there seems to be every few years something comes along and then we say everybody's going to lose their job and actually those people just go off into different directions and then there's something new and we all say everyone's going to lose their job. Is that kind of the same as what's happening with AI or do you think people will lose their jobs? You've hit the nail on the head really there. So so potentially we could see job losses, but focusing on the manufacturing sector as an example, where manufacturers are adopting new tech that means less employees are needed, now's a really good time to to upskill existing employees as there's a lack of engineers and workers in the manufacturing sector for all of the new things that are being introduced, including generative AI. So so while there may be less employees needed in one area of the business, there should, in theory, be other opportunities for those employees subject to upskilling. More generally, it's crucial that where any AI technologies are being used, there's some sort of verification of the output before it's blindly used. We've already touched upon this, but that can create a new subset of roles for those who can be part of this verification process. The optimist in me would also say that that generative AI allows us to do more with the same workforce 
as opposed to staying in a steady state with a smaller workforce. We're still a long way from mass job losses due to AI. It's still currently only working with existing data that it can access, either on a database or the internet. So there's still major breakthroughs that have to happen before we reach anything that resembles human-level AI, which is likely, if that, if that is um, successful, that could result in bigger job losses. But, but I don't think so. I'd like to say that the optimist in me wins here. And I, I like that, that, that you said it's just going to enable businesses to do more um, with the same workforce. And I think that that is what we need to come down on on that side of the fence on that, um, because you, you, you're all right. There is always going to be that negative um, uh, side to things. And it is down to companies to, you know, if they want to retain good talent, then it's finding other things for them to do um, or just pitching it that we're doing more um, with the same workforce. Uh, so I definitely agree with that. Um, we are almost out of time, but I've got one last question for you. We have spoke a little bit about how fast the industry moves, um, particularly how fast even AI um, is moving. Um, so what do you think the future holds for generative AI? So recent research suggests that ChatGPT's performance is declining over time. And all AI models can suffer from drift, which is essentially the performance of a model degrading over time. Whether this performance will improve, be corrected, is yet to be seen. And for me, these flaws, well, this flaw, coupled with the other flaws and the privacy and discrimination risks that we've touched upon today, have really emphasised the gap in regulation in this space. Well, globally, we're seeing the regulatory landscape develop and we're expecting the UK to host the first global AI safety briefing in autumn this year. It's always the case that technology is one step ahead. So it's really with businesses right now to make sure that they're developing these technologies in the right way to avoid falling foul of regulation in future. My view is that we'll still be talking about generative AI for years to come, even at the end of the government's 10-year plan. How positively we're able to talk about it will in, be, will in part be dependent on the approach taken to regulation globally, with there needing to be a balanced approach to ensure individuals' rights and freedoms are protected while simultaneously allowing innovators to develop and use AI to its full potential. Yes, and I love that just focusing on, you know, make sure, making sure that things are built in the right way now um, instead of, you know, something that we have to fix in the future. Um, and you're absolutely right. There is so much more to come uh, in this area. Uh, and time will only tell whether or not it's all positive talk or negative um, but uh, as you said, I am also an optimist and I think that um, it's it's going to be uh, hopefully more positive news um, uh, with generative AI. Um, but Katie, thank you so much. It is a topic that has been on everybody's lips um, and it is so good to share what it is and how it's going to be beneficial to businesses. So thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on here. Not at all. Thanks for having me. And to everybody listening, as always, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you again next time.